2: Hey, everybody, it's Dan, and this is our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I go back through some 21 questions posts that we've put up in recent days. If you're not following along, we're doing a 21 Questions series throughout the month of June asking... What else? Questions about the Browns as they head into the 2021 season. So check those out at cleveland.com slash Browns. You might need to be a football insider subscriber to read some of those stories. So if you want to sign up, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, you get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns and you can be part of our text subscription. So again, blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. All right, here is our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're getting caught up on our 21 question series that you've been seeing on cleveland.com slash brown. So let's get right to it. Mary Kay, what is your latest question?
0: Can Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield flourish together? Can they finally make that magic that we all expected them to make and help this team get further into the playoffs, maybe even to the AFC championship game into the Super Bowl? Can they get it done this year? I mean, if you just look at the numbers that they have produced together so far, they're really not that great. Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield together uh, in terms of his catch rate he's produced two of the lowest catch rates of his career with Baker Mayfield. Okay. I mean, that's, it's just has not been good. It was 23 out of 43 targets last year. He was on pace to only catch, I think about 50 some catches last year. That was the pace that they were on together. And then uh, the year before that, it was very, very similar. Uh, So once again, he was in the 50s in 2019, 74 catches on 133 targets. In his years with the Giants, he only had one out of five years where he was that low. So they just haven't done it together. And then when you look, the number that we always look at is what happened to Baker Mayfield last season after Odell Beckham Jr. left the lineup. And we kind of all know these numbers by now. When he left with the torn ACL, in that Cincinnati game, early on in the Cincinnati game, Baker's first pass. After that, Baker went on to throw 16 touchdown passes and only one interception over his final 10 games of the regular season. That is a pretty incredible statistic. It sends off alarm bells. It really does. Uh, But there are so many more factors involved in this. In its simplest form, Baker Mayfield, was a new Baker Mayfield in so many ways in the second half of the season. And I don't think that was because Odell Beckham Jr. was gone. I think it's because the coaching staff went through all of his plays. They figured out how to give him more play action. They figured out how to roll him out more. They figured out how to use their personnel. They put Rashard on the field more, who was his kind of comfort zone. A lot of things happened that helped Baker Mayfield shine in the new scheme. And I, for one, firmly believe that Odell would have been the beneficiary of the new and improved Baker Mayfield that we all saw down the stretch. I
1: kind of dove into Odell a little bit uh, earlier this off season, basically trying to focus on how efficient he was and whether or not fancy's offense made him more efficient. Like you said, his catch rate was not good. It's never been great. It's certainly not you know what Rashard Higgins has been able to do in his career. That's one of the reasons why Higgins is, is loved so much by a lot of these efficiency metrics like DVOA and he catches a lot of passes. Odell hasn't been like that, but through six games last season, Odell was, and I didn't count the seventh game cause he got hurt like the, what was that the second or third play, but through those first six games, he was first or second on the team in targets, catches, receiving yards, air yards, receiving touchdowns, first downs, yards per reception, so he was obviously a big part of what they were doing and they were getting the ball to him, but then there were some other things that kind of pulled back a little bit like his yards per route run were, were way down. He was one of the league leaders when he was with the giants and that was down passer rating for Baker went up last season for him. But again, like you said, his catch rate kind of went down again. And it was just kind of this back and forth. And I came away from that after writing it thinking, well, we clearly need more of this pairing to know for sure. I don't think you can look at last season and definitively say this made Odell better or worse or, or whatever the case was. I think we, we obviously need more and it's clear the Browns are, are going to bring him back and we're going to see more and we're going to find out. I think this is the year when you probably going to come away with some sort of definitive answer on whether or not Beckham is the right fit for, for Baker or for the Browns in general.
2: I wonder what the reasonable expectation is for odell this year so i think so many people want to see that 2014 to 2016 odell when he was putting up 1300 yard seasons and you know i looked up 42 games 288 catches 4100 yards 35 touchdowns that's the odell everybody remembers i don't think we're going to see that odell again And I think that's okay. And I don't know that this offense is necessarily geared for him to have a season like that anyway, with all these weapons. And I know counting stats can be a little fickle, but I mean, what would we expect from Odell where we'd come away and we'd look at his numbers at the end of the year and say, Hey, that that was a pretty good year. You know, in 2019 injured, he did play all 16 games. He had 1,035 yards and, you know, only four touchdowns. You want to see that number get higher, but let's say he, let's say he has 1,000 Fifty yards or close to 1,100 yards and say seven or eight touchdowns, that's a pretty good year. We'd come away from that thinking, okay, that was a pretty good year by Odell, even if that's not to that standard that we always expect from him,
0: right? Right. I think that 1,000 yards has got to be the baseline, especially as we've mentioned before, there are 17 games this season, so it should be easier to get there. So 1,000 yards is about the minimum uh, that you would want to have a star player like that have. Uh, And I think seven or eight touchdowns are reasonable. There are a lot of miles to feed on this offense now, as we know. But I think those numbers are what you should be aiming for. As Scott mentioned, they really tried. I mean, Kevin Stefanski understood the importance last year of trying to make sure that Odell Beckham felt like he was a very special and featured part of this offense. And I think they'll do the same thing again. He looks tremendous coming off the torn ACL. So he should be healthy enough for a pretty full workload. Maybe he'll be a little bit limited early on, but towards the middle, towards the end of the season, I think he should be ready to live up to all of those expectations. I think they'll be better together. I really do think that they will be better together. And one key thing that I have been saying is I think that Baker Mayfield now has such a handle on this offense that. I don't think he's going to feel that external or internal pressure to have to force the ball to Odell. I think he, in the past has forced the ball to Odell. There have been times where uh, you could just tell that he had it in the back of his mind that I've got to keep this guy happy. There might be a a little bit of that next season, but probably not as much as, as there was before because he now knows that he can own this offense. He knows that he can succeed without Odell in this offense. And he learned how to spread the ball around to, to different players. And he kind of got his sea legs in terms of the keepers and in terms of play action. And I'm sure there will be new wrinkles this year. But I just don't think he's he's going to let those guys be larger than life and wig him out. I think he now knows that that this is his offense and he can run it the way that he wants to.
1: Yeah, I think some of it too is getting used to the kind of routes that they want him to run. Like they took, basically took the slant away from him. They, they, he built his career on slant routes and Kevin Stefanski's offense doesn't highlight that, you know, the wide receiver screen, which we saw a ton of uh, the first year in 2019, um, that was pretty much dropped in Stefanski's offense. Not that it was, not that it was very successful for the Browns in 2019 when they kept throwing all those to, to Landry and Beckham, but. So that's, I think, something he kind of has to get used to going forward. But, uh, Dan, the, you know, the yardage and the, the touchdowns you mentioned, that's basically what Stefan Diggs did with the Vikings in 2019 with Stefanski calling the plays. He, he was targeted 94 times, 63 catches, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns receiving. Now, they obviously did not have a number of top-line offensive talent that we, we think the Browns have. And they had some injuries to their receiving core that year. Diggs was able to do that in 2019. And I think that is something that Beckham could shoot for. I think beyond that, though, act, beyond the actual number of catches or touchdowns, it's you want to see Beckham making those impact plays, you know, like against Dallas. That really hadn't happened. That Dallas game was pretty much the best game he'd played as a Brown. And so you want to see more of that. And whether or not he has, you know, six, seven catches in a game, you just want to see the, the catch that is that impact game that you remember. And then that's, I think that has a lot to do with how we think of Beckham and, and how he's contributing to the team.
2: Yeah, it was that Dallas game, that catch against Cincinnati at home, uh, the, that long mm-hmm. touchdown catch. You like to see stuff like that. And then, you know, you mentioned the slants. I think probably his, his best play as a Brown prior to the Dallas game last year came on that Monday night game in New York against the Jets when he took a, a slant from Baker to the house. I can't remember the yardage on that, but it was an absolutely huge play. Uh, so, so those are the things that Odell Beckham can do, but you know, without those slants and, and things like that, which is like you said, Scott, what he made his career on, it does change maybe the type of receiver he is and, and how often he gets targeted. All right. Our next question, Scott, this one was yours.
1: Yeah. I kind of took a look at Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. And cause when we think of that pairing, we think of, all right, how are teams going to deal with this? Is Clowney going to make Miles Garrett better? Is Miles Garrett, more specifically, going to make Clowney better? Can pairing a, a good pass rusher with Garrett make them a great pass rusher? So obviously that's a question we're not really going to know the answer to until until the season, but we do have some history to look at in terms of Clowney because he spent first five years of his career with J.J. Watt. So you had a a prolific pass rusher on the line with him, a guy who won multiple defensive players of the year, was a multiple all pro during those years. Problem is that they very rarely played full seasons together because of injuries to both guys. They basically had two full seasons, 2015 and 2018. Clowney's best season was actually one of the seasons where Watt only played five games. I think it was actually his first Pro Bowl season came that year. His Pro Bowl seasons were 2016 and 2017. 2016, between those two years, Watt played a total of eight games. So basically, you come away from, from looking at some of these numbers not really having a definitive answer on who made who better because Watt was great before Clowney ever showed up. He continued being great. And Clowney did not see that huge jump pairing with Watt, but he did have some of his best, most productive seasons when Watt was sidelined. So now you bring... Clowney in here with Miles Garrett, who has been paired with guys like Emmanuel Agba, Olivier Vernon, who have either had their most productive years before or after pairing with Miles Garrett. That not to say that this isn't going to work, that Clowney isn't going to play better because of Miles Garrett, or vice versa. It's just that's what we've got so far, and I think a lot of people look at the Browns making these moves on the defensive line, or thinking that they had to go out and get some other top-flight pass rusher, that it would be some sort of a stop, unstoppable force. And that's not necessarily the case. It doesn't always work out that way. But if both Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney have huge seasons, it'll kind of be the first time for both of them in terms of playing with somebody else who, who's also having a great season. So I started out with a question. I didn't really get to the answer, but I did uh, find out that it hasn't really happened yet for either guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems to me, that their skill sets will complement each other very, very well. I mean, Jadavian Clowney is at that point now, I think, in his career where people just don't expect him to be getting double digit sacks. He's never had double digit sacks in the NFL. And I think now that the expectations for him are different, the, the grading and the evaluation of Jadavian Clowney has also shifted and changed. And what you expect from him, you know, it, it isn't 11, 12 sacks necessarily. So I think what they hope that, that he'll do is get really good pressure and that he will set the edge and really complement Miles very well. The, the other reason why I think those two guys will work well together is because they can both switch sides. Each of them can play on either side. Uh, so they can move around and do some cool and creative things that way. And they can also both play inside. And so I, I think that'll help. I think it'll be interesting to see how how it works out when, you know, like on third down when Miles gets to choose where he wants to be, he, he sort of, you know, has jurisdiction over that a little bit. I, I think it'll be kind of cool to, to see the the moving parts on the defensive line. I think they're going to complement each other very, very well. And I think they will make each other better if we don't have the bar set at 12 sacks for Jadavia and Clowney.
2: Do we spend too much time talking about how the edge rushers will complement each other, and not enough time with how the interior guys might complement the edge rushers. You know, I look at a guy like Malik Jackson back in 2018, before he got hurt, he missed most of 2019. He had 51 pressures, which was ninth among interior defenders, qualifying interior defenders in 2018. And then last year, coming back off that Liz Frank injury, He was 22nd with 33 pressures in 15 games. So there was a drop off there. That's among interior defenders, but that's still 22nd among interior defenders. Isn't terrible. That's a guy that can still make an impact. Is the interior rush as important for Jadavian and Miles as their ability to complement each other as well? Because now you're looking at, you know, if that quarterback has to move off his spot because there's pressure coming up the middle, he might end up moving right into Jadavian or right into Miles. And that, that might mitigate some of those double teams and, and some of those chips coming their way and things like that.
1: I mean, Yeah, I would say definitely because that's that's what the Steelers do, right? I mean, they're some of their best pass rushers are in the middle of that defensive line, and they, they feed off what's going on on the outside. So, yeah, and I think when you look at Clowney, his versatility, whether it's him moving in or, or someone like Malik Jackson moving out, that, that's a huge part of it. The other thing, and I, and I know we get caught up in pass rush too, but – I mean, a big reason why Clowney is here is because of his ability to play the run. And the Browns obviously had issues with that. And he's one of the best at it on the edge. That's a huge thing. That's where I think you're getting the biggest upgrade over someone like Olivier Vernon is Clowney's ability to play the run. Because other than that, they're not too dissimilar. I mean, you remember Olivier Vernon had those 80 80 plus pressure seasons early in his career, but he's never been, I think he has one season of double-digit sacks, they get 11 uh, one year without looking it up. I think that's that's right. And and Clowney is very similar. So I think expecting the big boost, like you said, Mary Kay, up to like 12 or 13 sacks, that's probably not going to happen, but that's okay because Clowney is going to also be uh, a guy that you can count on in the run game and, and have, have production there as well.
0: And, and I, I do think you guys uh, make great points about uh, the interior defenders, the push that they will get up Uh, through the middle, which is so vitally important, more important against some other quarterbacks than others. I mean, if you've got a real mobile quarterback, you know, that necessarily, you know, the guy that's not just going to be standing there in the pocket waiting for for somebody to, to come at him, it might be a little less important against some guys, some of the running guys, but it's vitally important to have that rush ability all across the board. And they will have that now. I do think that uh, the ability for a quarter to have a quarterback have to look across uh, that line and not know where any of these guys are going to be lined up. I think that's just going to be tremendous. You can create so many mismatches with a young offensive lineman or, or an offensive lineman that if, if he doesn't run block well, you know, you can put in there. If he doesn't pass block well, you know what I mean? There's just so many different mismatches that you can create. And then as the game goes along, you can make adjustments and you can throw Malik Jackson on the outside and pop Jadavian on the inside. So I think once they get here and get this thing going, I think all the moving pieces and parts will be really hard to work against for, for offenses and an offensive lineman, you know, who who are you going to watch film on? You really have to be prepared for everyone because you don't know. I mean, some of the best plays that we saw miles make last year, Uh, were when he moved inside and an unsuspecting guard had to try to deal with him. Uh, So I think we're going to see a whole lot more of that. And I I do think that those guys are going to really play well together. And as we have mentioned before, there still is that chance that Sheldon Richardson can end up here. And I think that would just be one heck of a defensive line. If you've got miles, Sheldon, Malik Jackson, and Jadavian Clowney, Uh, you know, sort of as, as your starting lineup. I just think that, that, that would be a very formidable lineup.
1: A a potential return of Sheldon Richardson. That would, you're right. That would be huge because I look at the interior of this line right now, and I'm not so sure it's better than what they had the last couple of years, even with Ogan Joby not playing up to par, uh, or at least up to what he did as a rookie. They're going into the season. That's a huge question mark for sure.
2: Sheldon Richardson last year was 14th amongst interior qualifying interior defenders on PFF in pressures with 43. So he's a guy that created a lot of pressure up there. Let's track like, I don't know what to call it. Assists this year, defensive lineman assists instead of pressures. It's kind of a a good, you know, everybody can sort of, they know what an assist is. So like if miles pressures, the quarterback into Jadavian, let's give miles an assist on that. Mm -hmm. We're we're tracking that this year.
0: That sounds great.
1: I know we'll definitely be tracking where everybody's lined up. I think we'll probably be looking at the defense more than ever before, trying to keep track of how often they do different things, because versatility is the key word this offseason.
0: Yeah, I've been saying, it's uh, you know, find me if you can defense. And that's not just on the defensive line. I mean, that's going to be at all levels of the defense. You're going to have uh, ways to confuse the quarterback trying to ID who the heck is where and just other guys trying to figure out where they're supposed to be.
2: Okay. So my question was about rookies and which rookie would have the biggest impact in 2021. And I went the old rankings route again, like I did with the second year players. So my one and two was Greg Newsome and then Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And I just to set the parameters here. I ranked all the draft picks and then I also included uh, Marvin Wilson in, in this as well. So I ranked eight guys on this list. So I had Greg Newsom first and Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa second. I think that's pretty much that one, two, having those two guys. I think the order is maybe the only thing to debate there. And it might depend on who starts and who doesn't. But when Scott was laying out all of his info about zone and man-to-man and, and all of that, it got me thinking that maybe that, that favors Newsom to end up, just dropped my phone, end up as the starter. So I went with Newsom number one do either of you want to make a case for Owusu Koromoa as as number one over Newsom?
0: I think a case can be made. I I think it's almost, these guys might almost finish in a tie. I mean, can we, can we call it, can we call it a push on this? Because I mean, if, if, I think Greg Newsom is going to have a tremendous impact at cornerback, whether he starts or whether he rotates or whether he, Whatever happens back there, he's going to get a lot of playing time. At some point, he is going to start, I think. It's really kind of just a matter of when. So he's going to make a huge impact. And JOK, I think he'll probably start right off the bat. And I think he's going to make another big, big impact and be on the field a lot. They're so excited about him. And both of these guys, they were prepared to take either one of them at number 26 overall. So they view, they view them both as first-round picks. They They can't get enough of trying to figure out all the different creative ways they can use these guys Jok, J- okay and what they can do with him. So I think they have the ability to make an equal impact. And I think I'm going to roll with that.
1: I, I think I would put Newsom first. I think I, I agree with, with your thinking, Dan, I mean, if he's a starter, I don't think there's any, even if they're both starters, I think Greg Newsom is a guy who has a bigger impact on whatever you end up doing as a defense for a linebacker in the middle of the field. It's going to be a tougher learning curve, I think, especially as in coverage, which seems to be what they're going to use JOK a lot in. Even though he has all the ability they could want from a guy in that spot, it's still, it still takes time to figure things out, I think, as a linebacker, especially with how much the Browns have played zone the last couple of years. So I would still put Newsome up there. I, I, I do think they're clearly the top two choices here, even if neither one of them is really a starter. I think there are two guys who are you're going to come away thinking they had the biggest impact or at the very least the most opportunity to make the biggest impact.
2: So then I went Anthony Schwartz 3, Tommy Togiai 4. I kind of went shock here pretty early on. And Demetric Felton 5. Togiai is an interesting guy. It kind of depends how that plays out. But I, I the Schwartz discussion here, what is a reasonable expectation for Anthony Schwartz? Because I think so he gets drafted he's got all that speed And, you know, look, obviously folks on Twitter are going to go crazy and make comparisons. And we see see Tyreek Hill's name thrown out there and and all of that. But, I mean, look, we're we're talking about a guy who in rookie minicamp had some issues catching the football. When we've been out there at OTAs, he hasn't been practicing. He's dealing with an injury right now. He was a third-round pick. I think there's some refining to do there. But I think he'll play, and I think he'll have a role. I I just – I'm sort of in pump the brakes mode with Anthony Schwartz a little bit. Like, let, let's not make this guy something he's not right now. Let's give him some time and, and let him develop. And they'll use that speed a little uh, kind of gimmicky this year. You know, two or three years down the road, we might see a different guy. But I mean, what do you guys expect out of Schwartz from this rookie year?
1: I would have put Togiai ahead of Schwartz, and I probably would have had Schwartz and Felton kind of tied because I think they're very, they're going to have similar they're going to be in similar situations. They're guys who are going to get touches on offense because of their speed and maybe more so their ability to carry the ball. <laughs> you know, the jet sweep kind of deal. Uh, I, I do think you're right about pumping the brakes on Schwartz. I, that's a crowded wide receiver room, and I don't see them cutting bait with some of the guys who have shown that they could do it for someone who clearly isn't there yet. I just don't see Schwartz or Felton getting they're going to get a handful of of snaps, I think, in a perfect situation every game. And and maybe they touch the ball. They're going to look to get them in positions where they're in space, where they can kind of turn a play into a punt return, so to speak. And those plays aren't going to happen a lot. You can't do them all the time because then it becomes expected. So with all the people they have on offense, with all the talent and experience they have coming back, I don't see Schwartz or Felton having a huge role this year. That's why I would put Togiai above them because I think he has a better opportunity to have a significant place in the rotation on the line. And even if, you know, Schwartz, Schwartz breaks off a 50 yard jet sweep touchdown, everybody's going to remember that. But then meanwhile, Togiai is out there, you know, helping stuff to run on third down a few times and, What's the bigger impact here? I think Schwartz and Felt we might come away thinking they did more because they could end up in the end zone. But I think at the end of the day, Togia is going to probably have a bigger impact.
0: It doesn't help Anthony Schwartz's case right now that, that he has this soft tissue injury. I think he's going to, to uh, probably miss the mini camp. When you have so few practices in the offseason, really, those are really the only practices where the Browns offense and defense are going to be together. It does represent a minor setback that he won't be able to do that. He will have an opportunity, obviously, to catch up in training camp. And hopefully for him and for the Browns, this won't be a lingering thing. And he can get out there in training camp and he'll be fine. Right now, he's got a sleeve on the leg. Again, that doesn't help matters because when you are raw in some areas, you need all the help that you can get. You need all the reps that you can get. And right now, he's just kind of in a holding pattern. So that could set him back a little bit. Uh, if it were not for that, and all of a sudden he gets really super healthy and he is raring to go in training camp and that soft tissue injury is not an issue, I do think that that they're going to try to find a way to get that speed on the field. Again, not just uh, for what it provides you on game day, but what it causes the, the defensive coordinator to think about during game planning and game week. You have to account for him and you have to figure that out. So I do think that in a perfect world, they're going to want to try to get him on the field. And I think when you pick a guy in the third round, once again, that's pretty high and you want that guy to make some kind of a contribution in his first year, if possible, some of it will, a lot of it will depend on him. How fast does he come up the learning curve? How good can he get those hands and what can Chad O'Shea do with him in short order? the way that he did with Donovan Peoples Jones. He did a tremendous job with Donovan Peoples Jones, but even then Donovan Peoples Jones didn't have a ton of opportunities. You know, I mean, it almost seemed like when I look back at his stats, I thought he did more than like, like you mentioned, Scott, you know, we remember those big plays. And so it seems like, Oh, wow. You know, they made a huge impact when really uh, they were not even targeted that often. Uh, You know, you remember the game winning catch in Cincinnati and the, and the the touchdown in Tennessee and whatnot but I do think that they will make every effort to get some of that speed on the field. Uh, something that can't be coached and something that can really uh, menace a defense.
2: So I, I think people's Jones is a good name to bring up because it, when I say kind of, you know, pump the brakes on Schwartz, I think that's sort of the, what I envision. right? If we come away from this year and Schwartz has a Donovan people's Jones like season from last year, Hey, that, that was pretty good. Considering who he has to battle for playing time that there is, a little bit of of a work in progress there with him and and he's a different receiver. He'll get used differently than people's Jones, but you know, if there's three or four plays where man, he just left that cornerback in the dust and he caught a 50 yard touchdown. I think that's the sort of season that Anthony Schwartz is going to have. And then two or three years down the road, we might see him develop into that, you know, speedster Tyree kill mold but I'm not expecting that in his rookie year. And I don't think that's why the Browns picked him to necessarily be that this year. I think they understand who he is and and what he can bring. I don't think we need to go through the rest of these rookie rankings that I had, but I did have Marvin Wilson, sixth, Tony field, seventh, and Richard LeCount eighth. Oh, I had James Hudson ninth. Mm -hmm. So if anyone thinks that James Hudson is going to be starting a tackle, you can speak now or forever, uh, forever hold your peace there on that one. Okay, our 21 questions series. It is up at cleveland.com Browns. We're going through with a new question most days. Make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber because some of them you have to be one to read. So it's that blue banner at the top of the page that you can click on to get info and get signed up. For Mary Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening